0: Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg, and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on catch up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, can Boris Johnson survive the latest indignity heaped upon his premiership? After the fine for breaking lockdown rules during COVID and an investigation by senior civil servant Sue Gray, he's now facing an inquiry by fellow MPs into whether he has misled Parliament. Government whips, those are the MPs who keep their colleagues in order, were forced to abandon plans to try and block the inquiry as they sensed a rebellion by their own backbenchers. One of the Tory party's most prominent Brexiters, the former minister, Steve Baker, who backed Johnson's leadership campaign in 2019, told the PM in Parliament, the gig is up. So is it or will Johnson continue to hang on? We'll talk about this shortly with Sam Bright, who is the chief investigations editor at Byline Times. But in this debate in particular, I'm really keen to hear from you and get as many different and varied voices as possible. So if you've got a contribution to make, just if you're listening live anyway on Byline Radio, just tap the microphone on the bottom left. I think this only works if you're listening on your phone, I'm afraid. Tap the microphone on the bottom left hand of your screen, and if you've got a contribution to make or a question to ask of me or Sam, then by all means do so. As I say, sometimes these Twitter spaces are about listening and learning and finding out stuff, but I am really keen on this episode to just find out what you think, really get a flavour of what the UK and indeed our international audience thinks about the future of Boris johnson before we get cracking just a reminder that the byline radio and the byline times podcast owe no party political allegiance neither are we in hock to any corporate interest nor do we have to bend to the will of any proprietor we can tell it like it is without fear or favor because we are funded by ordinary readers of the byline times our fabulous monthly newspaper so if you want to support independent, honest journalism, please think about taking out a subscription or even a membership to the Byline Times. You'll find details of how to do that at our website. That's at bylinetimes.com, bylinetimes.com. That's our news-breaking website, and that will tell you where you can subscribe to the Byline Times, which has loads of exclusive content as well in the newspaper. So, Sam Bright is with us. You'll read Sam's work in both the uh, the website and in the newspaper. Sam, uh, we spoke about Boris Johnson maybe, well, three days ago. You thought at that time that he would see this out, that he would survive. Suddenly, it's looking rather shakier for him, I would suggest. Oh, I think through um, political self-sabotage
1: uh, more than anything else, which is something you can rely on, it seems, with this uh, this group of people in Downing Street. Um, it, it does really have shades of the Owen Paterson case. If we remember, Owen Paterson was um, accused of lobbying on behalf of private firms. Um, the um, parliamentary committees decided that he should have a 30-day suspension um boris johnson and uh, the conservative party decided initially that it wanted to overturn that suspension before being um really caught with its pants down by the labor party and then had to u-turn quite dramatically and um this has happened all over again just six months later but this time with the prime minister um it just seems to be staggering that they couldn't foresee what labor was doing i mean if they would have if they would have tried to block this investigation, the uh, the leaflets that Labour would have put out over the local election period would have been brutal, saying that the Prime Minister blocked an investigation into his own conduct and um, it would have been hammered home in every Tory constituency in the country. So politically, in the short term, yeah, completely agree. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it looks marginally better for the Conservatives, but... You know, in the medium term, what will this um, investigation produce? Um, it seems to give, given um, the party gate uh, scandal even more legs, um, <laughs> even if it didn't have any in the first place.
0: Yeah, you, know, you describe it as self-sabotage. Is that really the case? I mean, Labour have clearly played a, a clever game of politics because if you try and, Demand an inquiry, and as you say, if the conservatives then refuse that and block the inquiry, they're, they're very easily accused then of trying to block the question of whether the prime minister misled parliament, or if they acquiesce to it, which is ultimately now what has happened, then. They have this whole situation rolling on for for many many months. So I'm I'm just not where you, sure where you think it's self sabotage. Is it is it not just clever politics by their political opponents? Yeah, I think so.
1: I mean, you can't win either way in this in this situation. I mean, it's but it's self sabotage primarily in the fact that they you know they had the parties. Um, you know, no one forced, and you know, no one forced the, the wine down the necks, So, you know, the, the. I mean, apparently they're ambushed by a cake, but you know, the uh, the credulity of that is is stretched beyond belief. Um, but I think in this p- p- particular political case, uh, it was it was clear what Labour was trying to do and what the worst case scenario was, which was Labour, as I say, managing to plaster. Um, leaflets across the country that said Boris Johnson has blocked an investigation into his own conduct and so if you look at the details of this investigation although it does give extra legs to the partygate scandal um, it will happen after the Met Police report has come in which is essentially the most damning thing Um, I think that that, that in in combination with the Sue Gray report will be the thing that will decide the Prime Minister's fate I don't think fundamentally um, MPs will decide that he intentionally misled the House because it's, impo- it's impossible to prove someone's motive where that's concerned. They will most likely prove, which we know already, that Boris Johnson uh, that Boris Johnson misled the House may have intentionally misled the House. Which, like I say, we know that we know that already. So it gives a, a few extra front covers that might not look too rosy for the Prime Minister. But if you weigh up those two options, you know, in the medium to long term, a few bad front pages versus Labour managing to hammer the Tories in the short term, uh, potentially creating an electoral catastrophe. It was clear which one they should have leaned towards. And, you know, for the past few days, they've they've fueled Labour's fire pretty much. And they've only decided at the last minute that um, actually it's in their interest to sort of push this on as long as possible. And so I think I think for that reason, you know, on the on the two fronts, they've uh, they've really miscalculated.
0: At uh, issue here is the ministerial code. And this is like the the rule book for ministers. And it says ministers who knowingly mislead parliament will be expected to offer their resignation and the knowingly is the key word here, I think. On the 19th of April, Boris Johnson was asked in Parliament, Did you deliberately mislead the House? And he said, No. So, clearly there were parties this was in relation to parties and he's now been fined by the metropolitan police so clearly there was what anyway his critics say of parties his defenders say was just uh, the serving of a cake and a, a small drinks gathering but the metropolitan police have found him guilty of breaking his own lockdown rules as you say we can't know what was in his mind so the question of whether he knowingly misled parliament is a is a very difficult one to prove, if not impossible. Although I suppose if Dominic Cummings, Mm -hmm. his former advisor, who has previously said that he warned Johnson about at least one of these gatherings, if Dominic Cummings is called to give evidence and can prove that he did warn Johnson that these gatherings would be illegal, then presumably under the ministerial code, where if you are found to have knowingly misled Parliament, you are expected to resign that could be fatal that would be fatal
1: i I, I, I don't know even still i mean run through the scenario so cummins has already testified uh so he testified in front of the health and science committees they had joint committees and he testified last year and so if he does have evidence he hasn't produced it yet which seems implausible um and i i'm i'm pretty sure that during that committee hearing Cummings said that he warned if not the prime minister then um the, the, his pps so his, his private secretary um that these were parties the, the thing is that when the prime minister welcomes advice he's not necessarily agreeing with it so although dominic cummings might have warned him and Chris Whitty and Patrick Valence may have warned him, the Prime Minister could still have believed, because for whatever reason, um, presumably idiocy, um, that they were not parties. So the only way to prove definitively that he's intentionally misled the House is capturing a piece of evidence that suggests, on the record, that Boris Johnson acknowledged that they were parties so, if he's written an email, if he's said something to colleagues that gives the indication that they were social gatherings rather than rather than work events, that I think that is the only way that MPs can really get to to the to the bottom of it, other than. Um, finding pictures of him, you know, you know, topless with his tie tied around his, his head, and you know, is swilling a, 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 a bottle of Prosecco. You know, that's probably the other way that they
0: could put him down. Uh, yes, um, uh, well, who knows? But uh, of course, you know, he has apologised and he said he didn't realise that he was breaking the rules. And his defenders have reinforced that message. That whilst he acknowledges that the rules were broken, which is why he's had to pay a fine uh, he he didn't realize even though he drew up the rules and uh, there was there was a great great in inverted commas defense wasn't there by jacob reese mogg it was doorstep by a bbc reporter and he compared it to a batsman in cricket who when there is an appeal for lbw the batsman may refuse to walk from the crease awaiting the third umpires verdict and the third umpire if he says you're out then of course you walk as a Hmm. cricketer because you respect the rules but that that doesn't mean that you knew you were out at the time when the ball struck, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, it's a convoluted excuse
1: it is, it is, and it but, so. This is the thing with a lot of these arguments is that they work, they work in terms of their own parameters. Like, you can see the analogy, but it's just completely taken it out of its context. Like, a batsman playing cricket is just so fundamentally different to the prime minister forming laws during a pandemic, a pandemic that killed hundreds of thousands of people, and then breaking breaking. breaking those laws that is just fundamentally different to a to a game of cricket i mean jacob rees mogg may see politics as a sport you know that's the oxford union sort of attitudes politics but fundamentally people whose relatives died and we've spoken to them on byline radio before haven't we adrian you know they do not see it in terms of this and uh, as much as anything else as you say when when the batsman is given out they, they they, walk, they leave, they depart, someone else takes their place. And this has self-evidently not happened in the
0: case of Boris Johnson. He's still there adjusting his box. And Yeah, exactly. Let's have another go. Let's give me another whack at it. It's not how it works. Yeah, the Privileges Committee is an interesting thing because the Privileges Committee isn't one of these standing committees of Parliament, as I understand it, because Parliament has loads of select committees cross party groups of MPs made up of backbenchers whose job is to scrutinise the actions of the executive of the government. But the Privileges Committee is slightly different. It only meets, as I understand it, when called upon, Mm -hmm. when it needs to meet. And it does have greater powers than some other parliamentary committees it will for example be able to examine the 300 photos of lockdown breaking parties that were seen by the police
1: yeah exactly i think the crucial thing with this in terms of political significance is that a lot of the evidence unlike other committees um will be held in private um so i'm not sure whether our listeners are uh, regular um watchers of parliament tv but a lot of the the committees are um are broadcast on there um that will not necessarily be the case in terms of the privileges um committee um and it it also seems as though it might be a bit of a tortuous process i mean we've already had the Gray Report, which has taken its time and has ultimately been you know, substantially shelved, though we had the initial report that, that advised the Metropolitan Police. And now we've got the Metropolitan Police investigation, which again is ongoing and you know, yet more fines may be handed out. And then on the back of that, only after the Metropolitan Police investigation is finished, we will have this separate parliamentary investigation, which could itself take months. You might, I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. Either you say this is this is extending the political damage that um, will be inflicted on Boris Johnson's regime because you've got one investigation after another after another and this is just not getting blown out of uh, the public and the media's consciousness. Or uh, the alternative, which is, I think, my view, is that the only way that this really hits home is if it's intensified over a short period of time. So if we would have seen, for example, the Sue Gray report... Released before uh, the Ukrainian war really kicked off. Um, when when the media's sort of frenzy over this had reached its peak i think at that point we might have seen a deluge of conservative MPs come out against the prime minister um, and so drawing it out over a longer period of time might actually act to his benefit especially as it gives him time to sort of recalibrate and decide on which particular element of the culture war or his um his wars abroad that he wants to to refocus the media's attention on
0: Yeah, and we've seen, haven't we, with the Ukraine conflict, for example, that simply playing for time, because you never know what's around the corner, can play to your favor. It's a horrible thing to say about the Ukraine conflict. You know, a country uh, has been invaded. Many of its citizens, innocent people, have just been slaughtered by uh, an aggressor, and yet... in in a perverse way, that has worked to Boris Johnson's advantage. He's deemed by the people of Ukraine, so far as I can tell, to have been a good friend and supporter of Ukraine. And I think many people who oppose him politically in the UK nevertheless would recognise that he has been... A supporter of Ukraine in its hour of need, not necessarily the people who want to flee Ukraine through his uh, the, the refugee schemes, but but through military support. So in that sense, he's been able to betray himself, I think, quite successfully as a as a If not a military leader, then someone who can bask in the reflected glory of President Zelensky in Ukraine. And it's those kind of incidents, isn't it, which you you can never foresee, which you can never predict, which can sometimes come to the aid of a beleaguered politician, albeit that the claim that we can't get rid of a prime minister in wartime. It's demonstrably nonsense a we aren't at war with russia and b uh, the, the war that most people in britain use as their reference point world war Two, in fact saw neville chamberlain replaced by winston churchill in yeah. 1940 so you know if we can if we we can replace a prime minister when we've been assailed by the Nazis, there's no reason why we couldn't replace a prime minister when a country thousands of miles away is being assailed, albeit by a, a horribly unpleasant aggressor. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I think you have to consider this in the context of the media climate as well in this country. I think, um, you know, generally speaking, we have newspapers or a, a vast many newspapers, a number of newspapers that lean towards the Conservatives that are generally sympathetic towards Boris Johnson and his brand of, of governance. Indeed, he's worked for several of them. And so I think it's it's only really in moments of intense conservative crisis as we saw as we saw during the initial partygate stories that these newspapers will take a line that's very clearly um against the interests of the government and so when you've kind of got this low level rumbling saga going on they're never really going to come out um strongly against the pm and so they have as much interest as he does or certainly they're orientated in the same direction during that period to kind of help him out and prop up his administration. I mean, ultimately, this might be um, a godsend to the Labour Party. I, I, You know, we, we, we're speculating on Boris Johnson's political survival. Um, perhaps Labour would want Boris Johnson to lead the Conservatives into the next election. There does seem to be... A sort of denial among some conservatives the newspapers and and commentators and politicians alike about boris johnson's potential to win the next election i mean all the polls consistently show still that the public thinks he's dishonest that um he should resign he should resign before the the conclusion of the met uh, investigation and it, it's uh, i think there's not a consideration pr- probably because of the tory dominance of the newspapers about whether boris johnson is just fundamentally damaged goods at this stage and you know labor's just trying to press they're trying to press home that perception while perhaps not being too displeased if the fatal blow is never delivered before the next general election adrian you muted lad
0: there's always one. There's always one. Time. There's always one. <laughs> you're listening to uh, Adrian Goldberg here on Byline Radio with Sam Bright, the chief investigations editor of the Byline Times, and we're talking about whether Boris Johnson can survive this latest inquiry. If you're listening live on Byline Radio, want to want to join in? And if you're on your phone and you've got the Twitter app, you can just twist. Uh, you can just twist. You can just tap the microphone in the uh, bottom left-hand corner of your screen and join in and offer a, a comment or a question. by all means do so very keen to hear what you've got to say about boris johnson and this latest inquiry you're listening to byline radio or if you're listening on catch up to the byline times podcast all supported by subscriptions to the byline times you get more details on how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com that's bylinetimes.com you mentioned a little earlier the Metropolitan Police, Sam. One interesting development has been the decision by the Met not to announce any further, the results of any further investigations into the Partygate scandal Mm -hmm. until after the May the 5th elections. And I think the Met Police report, or the Met, sorry, the Met release, the Met Police release actually referenced Perda. Now, people who are, familiar with, say, the BBC or with familiar with local government will know that perda is a period before an election when you cannot say anything that might be construed as a political comment that might sway people one way or another in terms of how they could vote. This restriction, perda does not apply to the police. Mm. And throughout the party gate story, and particularly when Christopher Dick was the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, there was this feeling that the Metropolitan Police were not pursuing this story as vigorously as they might have done. And the timing of their investigation, when it finally came, was certainly very convenient for Boris Johnson, because it meant that Sue Gray's report, the civil servant's report, could not then be published in full. There has been an initial report, but some of the key information has been redacted. And again, this suspicion that the police is not an entirely independent operator here. It may be a false impression that is being given, but the suspicion that it is not an entirely independent operator and that it at some level is bending to the will or the desire of government appears to be justified by this, by this decision. Yeah. I, I
1: find this utterly ludicrous um, and I think, you know, the Metropolitan Police has not covered itself in glory in recent years. And I think this is just another instance of, of that trend um, at a time when it should really be trying to rebuild public trust. This is, um, like you say, you know, perds is in place entirely justifiably so that government departments and civil servants don't make declarations don't make public announcements that benefit essentially the serving party, the incumbent government. The thing is that the Metropolitan Police, by not making any announcements, is doing exactly the same. So, you know, it hasn't considered the fact that making an announcement or not making an announcement would affect the course of the election either way. Um, and frankly, you know, life does not stop. Um, crimes do not stop being committed. The country does not stop functioning during perda or an election period. And there is not a wholesale ban on things being reported by the media about those things during election periods. And I find the rationale completely astounding that um, the Met would have decided that this is that this is the reasonable thing to do not least because this is the the deciding the crucial issue of this election is trusting boris johnson is the party gate um scandal and for the met police not to basically do its due diligence and its normal um its normal practice of reporting i find just staggering frankly
0: Yeah, it is uh, remarkable. Scotland Yard announcing it will not issue any more gate updates before the May 5th elections. This is from the Metropolitan Police. Whilst the investigation... Will continue. Oh, I'm reading from a screen here, which has just uh, blipped. Bear with me. Whilst the investigation will continue during the pre-election period, due to the restrictions around communicating before the May local elections, we will not provide further updates until after the fifth of May. So they're quoting there the restrictions around communicating that do not apply legally to them. It's just incredible mm. and. I think uh, on that, by the way, on, on the local council elections, I, I should just say that uh, I've got a good friend who is a, a local councillor. He's a Labour councillor. I've got a good friends who, by the way, who are Conservative councillors and Green <laughs> councillors. I've got friends across all parties. Let me make that clear. But this particular friend, who is a, a Labour councillor somewhere in the Midlands, I shall say no more than more than that, did say to me today that the Johnson dishonesty issue is starting to cut through at the doorstep and you might think well so what you know of course it is but trust me when i've spoken to this councillor before uh, and and bray some of the fine work you've done at byline Times, sam around the ppe scandal and uh, some of the work we've done on the byline times podcast in the past with peter oborn about the proven dishonesty the Prime Minister. My councillor friend has said, That's all very well. That's great for people who are massively into politics. But mm-hmm. he said, Trust me, this does not play out on the doorstep. Not least because many people say oh, they're all at it. All politicians are dishonest. Now, I know this is a kind of lazy reflex action. And to some extent, it is fostered, I think, by the media who perhaps have an interest in uh, covering up some of the things that Johnson has done. But uh, there there is definitely a kind of uh, a deep cultural disaffection towards politicians and a, a lack of respect for politicians in this country, which in some respects is not a bad thing. Mm. But my councillor friend said, now it is starting to play on the doorstep. These... Set of local council elections he says he's noticing people are bringing up the issue of johnson and the question of trust so i mean mm. we'll wait and see what happens on may the fifth whether it really does play out but it's uh yeah it's was, it was interesting that he made that point to me
1: well it's it's, it's important it's, it's quite dangerous in a in another regard uh i think you know obviously johnson takes full responsibility for this um, but Labour, I think, has a really crucial role to play, not just in terms of you know providing an alternative to Johnson, but to defending democracy. Labour needs to show that not all politicians are the same. Um, otherwise, we risk mass alienation, I think, amongst the electorate um, that has been battered by repeated scandals um, over recent decades. You know, you think about the expenses scandal... Uh, you think about austerity, the financial crash, you know, r- repeated evidence of politicians not acting in the public interest. And if Labour doesn't show that there's an alternative to that, people will either turn to apathy or they will potentially turn to extremism in that situation. Um, and that's, a that's yeah, I think we're in quite a fragile state, actually, in terms of um, our current democratic settlement.
0: I think it's worth pointing out, Sam, that today, the decision to have this inquiry by the Privileges Committee, which again is a a cross-party committee of MPs, came about in spite of efforts by government managers to block it. It was the intention of the whips on the Conservative Party to whip their backbench MPs into opposing this investigation. Now, MPs who might not have been willing to Uh, vote against the whips not willing to vote against Johnson overtly were suddenly finding that they had urgent work to do in their constituencies (laughs) and were unable to vote so you had this risk of mass abstentions from the Conservative Party so the whips in the end just decided it was pointless to try and block the inquiry but that was very very telling because this was the moment when Yes, it might have been convenient as you say for Labour to have this all over their local council election leaflets. But it was a moment when the Conservative Party could, from their point of view, have attempted to draw a line under this. And the whips were unable to do that with their own backbench MPs. Mm,
1: And this is the thing in if you think about this in terms of the grand political context and the Conservatives going into the next general election, they don't have the sort of mastermind. You know, for all his faults, and he had, you know, very many, um, they don't have the mastermind of Dominic Cummings, who really steered them through both Brexit and then the 2019 general election. They evidently have people in Downing Street who, you know, may or may not guide the the Conservative Party's mission at the next election, who just fundamentally don't understand basic political uh, nows. They don't get it. And they almost handed Labour an open goal. Um, and to some extent, they, they offered them some great headlines over these past few days and showed the government U turning and flip flopping. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's looking, you know, tentatively quite, um, quite positive for
0: Labour. Let's get a word with Adam Schwartz, who's joined us. Hello, Adam. Welcome. You're on Barline
2: Radio. Hello, thanks so much for bringing me in. It's a really fascinating discussion. Um, I just wanted to briefly bring up something about the what you were just talking about before with the um, police's decision not to announce any fines um, before the uh, local elections. So when they announced this, I decided to do just a bit of research to see if I can find out any kind of guidance uh, on how Perda relates to the police. I found that they'd published um, an FOI request in 2019 from someone who basically asked them how the Perda period um, relates to the police, um, and they provided an extract from a document which basically set out uh, how they think perda applies to the Metropolitan Police, which is really interesting. Um, interestingly, you know, this document is actually not available online, um, and they said that they weren't available, that they weren't able to publish the full document. Um, but it basically set out um, general principles uh that basically said that the police can't be seen to be endorsing any candidates or be kind of providing resources to politicians uh, or, or candidates during the period which seems you know pretty obvious um but despite the fact that the freedom of information request expressly asked how it relates to uh, ongoing investigations The entire document didn't actually reference how it would deal with the situation where you had an ongoing investigation related to one of the candidates. Um, So I think it's just, you know, a a general lack of transparency in in the system about how sort of investigatory structures apply to... um, apply to politicians and i think it's just part of the kind of endemic problem within the british uh political system which is sort of self-regulatory because it generally requires politicians to kind of monitor themselves and uh, you know ultimately the prime minister is the ultimate judge of that you know yes adam that's a
0: really interesting was that you was that your own foi request
2: it wasn't my own it was just one that i found that the uh met had published on on their uh on their website but interestingly also said that ahead of every perda period they basically update this document, so so I think I'm going to um, send in a, another request to see if I can get uh, the the latest information about what what the current status of it is.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about that though is, of course, and of course, you know, you would expect the police not to interfere on behalf of any one candidate or another in the local council election. You know, that, in a, you might think that shouldn't need to be said, but fair enough, it has been said in a document. But we do have to remember Boris Johnson is not a candidate in the local elections, is mm. he? He's mm. not standing anywhere. So the idea that they could influence the, the outcome of any particular seat is nonsense now you might say there might be an argument for having some kind of perder for general elections on the other hand if you were to be arrested sam there would be no restriction on that for whatever crime you would no doubt be innocent of or you (laughs) adam or me you know the police wouldn't say "Oh, well you know you know that we're going to we're going to stop our normal procedures for those people, you would think, well, perhaps quite rightly, we've, we've got to get this out there into the public domain in the same way that it would be. You know, justice in that sense has to be blind. But in any event, Johnson is not standing. So there's no direct link between him and any local council election. No, exactly. And, um,
1: you know, different to Perda, but um, I made an inquiry with um, Ofcom a couple of weeks ago that themselves set um, strict broadcasting um, rules during election periods. About the prime minister's interview on GB News, which was conducted by two Conservative MPs, so essentially three Conservative MPs chatting between <laughs> themselves. Um, and now Ofcom usually sets um, you know regulations that say that politicians shouldn't be shouldn't interview fellow politicians, um, but these are especially strict rules during election periods. But interestingly, only if. The candidates in question the politicians in question are actually standing for election yeah. and in this case you know the two this wasn't a breach of rules because none of them were standing so you could similarly you know although you know it's not a strict perda thing although i guess it is actually a perda thing um you know it's it's you know you could very much apply this case to the metropolitan police as well like you say these this doesn't affect boris johnson uh rishi sunak or, or anywhere, any of the civil servants um they're not standing in this election so it's fundamentally ridiculous that they're trying to make this argument
0: Adam, where do you think this leaves Boris Johnson? I mean, he's he's clung on for many a long month. We know that he is a liar. This is a fact that is beyond question and beyond doubt. He's now been fined for breaking his own rules and MPs who said that that would be the final straw, that they could no longer back him if he were found to have broken the laws that he himself set have stood by him. And now we have MPs on the Privileges Committee looking into him to see whether he's intentionally misled Parliament. I, I mean, it's a pretty big chart sheet, but as, as we speak, he's still prime minister. What do, what do you make of all that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it's, it's really interesting actually because um, I sort of, you know, generally agreed with, with Sam, um, you know, earlier in the week or, or a couple of weeks ago that it looked like Johnson was to, was going to cling on, but I actually think the events that we saw in Parliament today were really significant in trying to understand the direction of where things are going. I mean, the fact that you know the uh, Keir Starmer's motion went through on the nod essentially without any kind of recorded vote, I think, was absolutely fascinating. To, uh, you know, what what Tory MPs are really thinking at the moment. And I think, you know, it, it, it's obvious that Conservative MPs are not willing to pull the trigger on him. They're not quite willing to uh, either tell him to go, or, the most of them anyway, or trigger a leadership uh, challenge. But, you know, what they're clearly not willing to do as well is stand in the way of any kind of due uh, due process um, that would actually lead to kind of formal disciplinary processes against Johnson. So I think, you know, at the moment, They're not ready to get rid of him, but they're also not willing to really, you know, get rid of any more political capital to kind of save him. And I think, you know, if they're not willing to do that after one fine, I think, you know, after perhaps, you know, several more fines, I think it's quite possible that actually Johnson will be even, even more in trouble. And I think particularly after the Sue Gray report is eventually published. So I think, you know, Johnson's obviously not going to go today. He's not going to go tomorrow. But I think, you know, his medium-term challenges are, are really serious. And I, and I personally can't see the Conservative Party, you know, with its long history of getting rid of uh, unpopular leaders, uh, ultimately willing to take, uh, you know, Boris Johnson for, for another chance uh, with a risk of, you know, a lot of, a lot of them losing their jobs at the next election.
0: Yeah, the Conservative Party are the Watford FC, of <laughs> aren't they? they? They always biff their leader if they think they're not going to survive. I'm just looking at some YouGov statistics as we speak, and this is a question that YouGov set to members of the public. How well is Boris Johnson doing as Prime Minister? And I think we, we'd all acknowledge that YouGov... No doubt there are questions uh, to be asked about it, but, you know, essentially it's a a respectable and well-respected polling organisation. Now, going back to the 9th of April 2020, so we're going back just uh, over two years, Boris Johnson had a 66% approval rating. That's pretty high and just 26 people thought he was doing badly that's 66 people 66 percent of people thought he was doing well and it was still relatively new at that point and of course the uh the the polls usually show a downward trend after the initial honeymoon period for any prime minister that doesn't necessarily reflect particularly on johnson And his his popularity continued to decline to around September 2020. Now, then there was a little surge, a little uptick around the start of 2021. Since when? It's been pretty much on a downward curve ever since. So we have Johnson now with people saying that he has, he's got a, a Only 29% of of, of people think that Johnson is doing well. 29%. 65% think that he's doing badly. So this idea that the Conservatives... Adam Bienkoff, our colleague on Byline Times, mentioned this to me the other week. You know, this idea that the Conservatives cling to that Johnson is somehow armour-plated with the voters, well, the polls would suggest otherwise. Yeah, I think the thing is that
1: um, lots of people have said that it's baked in to the, the arithmetic with Boris Johnson, that lots of people know that he's mendacious and that he's a bit of a playboy and whatever. Um, but the thing is that like, the way in which that behaviour is interpreted can radically change depending on circumstances so when that sort of mendacity is acting in the interests of a large swathe of voters primarily those in former industrial seats who like punching the establishment on the on the nose and like the fact that boris johnson is a bit uh, out there and you know he doesn't is not uh, he's not acceptable um, you know they, they they approved of that during the 2019 election during brexit but when that turns against them, when he's doing stuff that's breaching the rules that everybody was following, those facts of Boris Johnson's personality, um, they act to his detriment. And so I don't think there's sort of like one hard and fast rule with the way in which people interpret politicians and their behaviors. I think it fluctuates quite often and, and you know, can hold contradictory positions at times. But as you say, Adrian, from the polling, it's pretty clear that um, the public mood has shifted. And, you know, we haven't even seen it. I don't, despite, you know, Boris Johnson uh, retrenching his support in the Conservative Party, I don't think we've seen the the poll shift significantly or significantly enough with the general
0: population to suggest that he might dig himself out of this hole. Much of the rhetoric from Conservative MPs has been about, let's not worry about a cake at a birthday do or a birthday cake when somebody's in the office you know this has been the the pushback from conservative mps who supported johnson over partygate and a lot of the rhetoric has been around let's talk about what really matters let's consider the issues that are really important in britain today and i'm just thinking of a checklist and, and not to be deliberately kind of anti-johnson but i just think of some of the things that affect people on a daily basis in their lives. If you are an ordinary voter, as I am, you will be dealing with the cost of living crisis. You may be, if you're a small business person, be dealing with the consequences of Brexit and the additional red tape that Brexit has entailed. If you're an exporter, even though we were told that Brexit would lead... To a reduction in red tape. And you've got a story, I know, Sam, you've printed a story on Byline Times about the reduction in assistance to the different regions of the UK relative to the money that was coming in from the EU. These are the kind of the disbenefits of Brexit. We see that the number of deaths associated with COVID, the kind of let's live with COVID, philosophy has led sadly to uh, more people dying with covid and the nhs continuing to be overwhelmed so even if we strip out the question mm. of johnson's honesty there's a whole basket of really difficult issues for the government to have to deal with oh, yeah
1: and not just difficult i mean i think you're being generous there adrian i think they've cocked it up They've. I, I know I'm talking at you know quarter to eleven, so I'm probably being more candid than I should be. But this they've in terms. Of, if you look at across the spectrum, if you look at in terms of the political decisions they've made in Brexit, but also in terms of like uh, poverty, uh, in terms of wage stagnation, in terms of um, housing, uh, the rental market, oligarchs flooding into this country. Um, even regional inequality, which is their big thing now, leveling up. On all those measures, if you look at the data, things have been deteriorating markedly. And the the thing that was supposed to be the benefit of all this, uh, of all this pain for people, was supposed to be balancing the books, the deficit. And even prior to the mass spending of the coronavirus period, they hadn't done that. They they ju- they just hadn't, you know. Um, their, their, their borrowing rates were roughly equivalent to what Labour was proposing in 2010, and now we've we've had you know massive amounts of public investment that is that is causing yet more pain for people. So no, I completely agree that the um, that the Conservatives are saying that we're getting back to um, you know that we should be focusing on delivering from the people for the people. That should actually strike fear into the hearts of most people because uh, their record's been shambolic um, in recent history. And I think the problem comes, and again, a great danger for democracy, is when the performance of a government, particularly in terms of health and wealth, is detached from elections. So, you know, having studied elections in the past, you, you know, the winter of discontent, for example, um, in the late 1970s, led very directly to the Conservatives winning in 1979 and Thatcher coming in and you know changing the economic course of the country. I just due to the distortions that take place now, and you know for whatever reason, whether that's the media, social media, Boris Johnson's personality, whatever, I just cannot see the cost of living crisis having such an acute impact on boris johnson's popularity indeed the, the the red wall has been punished um systematically since 2010 thanks to austerity you know food bank uses has, has burgeoned immensely in deprived uh, left behind parts of the country and yet they still voted for brexit and still voted for the conservatives in 2019 and that is really worrying when a government is damaging the health of its citizens and their prosperity, yet is continually continuing to win votes from those same voters. It is, is essentially justifying um, the abuse of the British population, in my view.
0: Let's welcome Shafi into the conversation. Shafi Musadiq, who has become a writer in recent times for the Byline Times. You'll read the articles by Shafi at
3: bylinetimes.com. Welcome, Shafi. How are you doing? You're all right. Hey, I'm good. Uh, hello, Sam. Me and Sam go a long way back. Donkey's years. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I wouldn't have trusted this guy, Adrian, but yeah, let's see what <laughs> he has to say. Go on, Sam. Um, what do you want to say? Uh, firstly, I'm not paid to say this, but I'm dead. Sam's new book, going to read it soon. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll uh, talk about that another day. Go on, Sam. <laughs> um, some really good points being made and just um the point sam made about um the interpretation of political behavior and politicians behavior it's really interesting because we're seeing you know with the french election right now the when macron came into power he was seen as confident but now he's seen as arrogant and i think that bodes well for this side of the channel in the in the sense that no politician is is foolproof is bulletproof and i think I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, a lot of Labour supporters who just who have lost hope, and the word apathetic keeps coming along. But I, I don't think people should be. Um, so I think that was a really good point there made, and I just wanted to ask about Rishi Sunak um, because obviously he was fined as well, and I'm wondering what his political capital is now. Will will, will he? let's put it this way. Will he still, still be around for the next general election? Mm-hmm. Good, good question. Go on, Sam.
1: I'd say no. Um, he'll still be, tra- I think he's tied to Boris Johnson now. Uh, if he wasn't already, um, I think that they are the, you know, they're, they're tied to the same sinking ship. Um, the same criminal behaviour, essentially. I, the only way that I can see that he might separate himself to some degree is if he's not fined again, but which doesn't seem to be the case from all the stories that we've seen, but jo- Johnson is, um, on other occasions, in which case, Sunak can say, look, I was just turning up early for a work meeting and I genuinely was ambushed by a cake, whereas my, my, my boss, my gaffer, was um you know tipping prosecco over his head um, and and to that extent i can see that sunap might make a political case i just think that the partygate stuff on top of um the non dom uh, stories the previous week involving his wife and obviously paying foreign uh, uh, tax on foreign earnings abroad and his green card status has has really fundamentally damaged his credibility i, I mean i saw stories this morning suggesting that nadine zahawi um who's um, you know been really talked up in recent week by pretty sensible moderate figures um, in the media uh, is too wealthy to be to to run for conservative party leader because of um the story surrounding sunak so someone who's not even been caught up in the Partygate stuff or the non-dom uh, revelations is essentially being ruled out of the race because of uh the sunak uh revelations um you know not even you know not even you know uh referencing sunak himself so um, I would I would say it's quite I say it's quite tricky for for Sunak going
0: into uh, that interesting as well. stuff uh, about uh, Sunak coming out today from Johnson's trip to India where he's meeting uh, of course the Prime Minister Narendra Modi. He was asked by reporters, "Is Sunak's job safe?" And he said, "Yes." He said uh, he was asked very clearly, "Would he still be at the Treasury come the autumn, which is when the the main budget is set?" And he said. Yes, and he was asked to then more generally about other ministers, including Priti Patel, and he gave uh, a, one of his classic kind of waffle answers, um, which people are seeing as maybe a, a hint that he will move Priti Patel on from the Home Office. Who knows? He may just have been waffling. But he did say that Rishi Sunak will be there until the autumn, at least. And, of course, Rishi Sunak could really have brought johnson down in the eyes of many commentators had he resigned following the party gate fine i think that would have set an example that it would have been very difficult for johnson not to follow even though we know resignation isn't really in his in his bones is it but it it would have ramped up the pressure on johnson so Mm -hmm. sunak i mean he's got quite you know he's he's effectively acting as a human shield for johnson Mm -hmm. as long as he stays there and doesn't resign well It doesn't look like you have to resign, even though you've broken the law that your own government has set.
1: Exactly. And this is the thing, like what is in it for Sunak now? Maybe he's calculating, as I said, you know, the, the number of fines that Johnson gets versus himself and, you know, considering whether he might run in future. But that I think as time goes on, that will seem an ever distant possibility for him. Uh, I think his brand was tarnished anyway, to be honest. I think it it would have unraveled. Um, And so why is he remaining in post? Maybe he will for a certain amount of time to preserve his legacy as a decent chancellor. But fundamentally, there's got to come a point where he doesn't want to be associated with someone, A, who's broken the law repeatedly, and B, might end up losing the next election. And soon that might might end up being the guy who uh, really detonates... Johnson's regime. If you if he manages to find a spine on on all this, w- one thing, Adrian, actually that just popped into my mind um, on our earlier discussion in relation to whether Johnson intentionally misled the House. Uh, if our listeners watched PMQs yesterday, they'll have noticed that um, Keir Starmer accused Johnson of saying something detrimental about the BBC in relation to the Ukraine war. Now. Johnson was really unhappy with Starmer saying this and claimed that uh, Starmer had essentially made it up. And Johnson acted with a fury that I have not seen from him before. He was he was livid at Starmer suggesting that this was the case. Which I think was really telling. It was, I mean, obviously this isn't any sort of you know hard proof that uh, the parliamentary committee could use, but in terms of human psychology, I thought it was fascinating that Johnson acted so furiously in the case of Star, his perceived uh, Starmer perceived to have lied over the BBC versus the Partygate accusations. He has never acted with such sort of fury and anger over accusations of partying. Um, I think fundamentally because he knows that he knows that they are true. I mean whenever whenever any of us is accused of something uh, really egregious that we haven't done, our immediate instinct is to is to push back as hard as possible. and that's what Johnson did yesterday over the BBC quotes and he just repeatedly hasn't done. he sort of skulked and hes salt and he's jibed, but he's never lashed back. and I think just from a basic human psychology point of view, I think he just just knows he's culpable, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, well, this claim that he criticised the BBC came out of the meeting that he'd had with his own MPs following the apology in Parliament, wasn't it? And uh, MPs came out and reported what Johnson had said, and in that meeting he was apparently far less apologetic than he had been in parliament this was a behind closed doors meeting the daily mail incidentally made the same report the daily mail which of course would be very quick to criticize keir starmer for getting it wrong mm-hmm. reported this itself so i'm quoting here from the mail online the archer uh, I'll, I'll just read the the headline here um Archbishop of Canterbury hits back at Boris Johnson over Rwanda migrant plans. Justin Welby vows to continue to criticise government on moral and ethical grounds after PM claimed Church and the BBC were more critical of Number 10 than Putin. Will Boris Johnson, I ask, be rushing to demand a retraction from the Daily Mail? Of course (laughs) he won't. Of course, because part of Johnson's modus operandi is to say things which he knows his lapdog newspapers and journalists will dutifully repeat. And it won't always matter whether those things are true or not. Mm. And if they're not true, he won't be demanding a retraction. He'll be quite happy for the untruth to gather momentum that'll be just fine by him it's all part of the culture war isn't it the bbc gets attacked again even if johnson didn't say it he doesn't mind it being seen more broadly than outside you know outside parliament that that he attacks the bbc yeah yeah
1: exactly and the hypocrisy of it is just unbelievable as well the fact that he was so outraged about Keir Starmer, like you say, for one, just repeating stuff that was telling the right wing newspapers, but also his he's just outrage about Keir Starmer apparently saying something that was untrue. This coming from a man who was just, <laughs> you know, misleads
0: people as a, as a hobby. Um, it, it just- <laughs> well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Ian Blackford, the SNP, leader of the SNP in the Commons, who has called him a liar on more than one occasion in Parliament and been censured for it by the Speaker called him a liar in the debate in Parliament over whether there should be an inquiry and the Speaker didn't challenge him. Because apparently if it's a debate about whether the Prime Minister or another minister misled Parliament, you are apparently allowed to call them. A liar and mm. this has caused much huffing and puffing. but Blackford for once was able to get away with calling him a liar which what i just think is so funny i mean we, we, we've published on the podcast you know the Pinocchio PM i had done an interview with Peter Oborn who was catalogued the lies of British uh, Boris Johnson Peter Oborn a former supporter of Johnson and one who supported his leadership bid in the Conservative Party Go on, Adam, what are you going to say?
2: Sorry, I was going to jump in there just to um, say it was really interesting, actually, uh, Prime Minister's questions yesterday and the uh, debate today because... Um, previously it was actually pretty rare even for opposition politicians to expressly say that someone was a liar um, i think dawn butler um, said it quite famously a few months ago and it made headlines. Yeah. but but yesterday we saw i think four or five different mps including starmer who said that um, johnson was dishonest and then withdrew it after the speaker requested he do so but we're seeing more and more mps willing to expressly say it on the basis that they know the speaker will tell them to withdraw it and it won't officially go down in hansard but they'll still get the benefit of saying that um and it'll still be on tv mm. so i think you also see increasing sort of frustration of politicians with the kind of inadequate inadequacy of the system to really uh be able to challenge you know a kind of uh habitual liar like johnson uh, be- being in office i thought that was a really interesting uh feature that i'm sure we're going to see more of in parliament
1: yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's yeah, crucial what you say, that opposition politicians are now using it as an opportunity to, um, you, know, I, you know, I think perfectly justifiably, to want to expose Johnson and expo- expose the flaws of the system. Um, and as a result, the system has a massive problem there. How does it adapt? Does it allow, um, does it allow people to call um, Boris Johnson liars? Um, Or does it go through this perpetual process of having to censure people and uh, a public outcry created because it bans them from expressing those sentiments? That seems to be a real bind that uh, it's not going to get out of when Boris Johnson is is prime minister because he's going to continue to lie and people are going to continue to call him a
0: liar. But, I mean, the, the, the scale and the persistence uh, of the line is astonishing. One example, and I reference the, uh, the Pinocchio Prime Minister, which was the, the name of one of my podcasts, and this was this was picked up in the in the Commons. I'm not claiming, by the way, that I invented that phrase. I wasn't the first to use it, but uh, I, we did use it on the Barlow Times podcast. But he was branded a Pinocchio Prime Minister in the House of Commons on Wednesday because he once again claimed there are more people in work than there were before the pandemic now this is simply not true and he has been upbraided about making this claim by the UK statistics authority and has had to admit that the statistic that he's quoting is wrong But nevertheless, this week in Parliament, it rolled it out again. Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) I mean, this is doubly absurd, Adrian, as well, because um, the liaison committee, which is basically like, uh, you know, a heavyweight championship of all the select committees, um, Boris Johnson was specifically taken to task on this for about 20 minutes by one of the uh, members of the liaison committee, during which Boris essentially admitted that he was he was wrong and that he should refer to it in a different way and for him to trot that out again after having been explicitly told by an mp that he was getting it wrong and acknowledging that fact oh god it's just it's oh, it's just when does the when does the bile stop
0: Yeah, well, the 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 figures that Johnson Johnson quotes some statistics which might appear to show that what he's saying is true, but they don't include self-employed people. So the total number of Britons in employment, once you include self-employed people, is half a million lower than before the pandemic began. I mean, this is not just a, a minor technical error. This is not just a cake landing on your desk, on your birthday party, out of nowhere. And the UK Statistics Authority Chairman, Sir David Norgrove, previously wrote to him to say, it is wrong to claim that there are now more people in work than before the pandemic again. And the Commons Liaison Committee asked him, If he accepted this correction by Sir David Norgrove, he said, yes, I do. I've taken particularly care today, mindful as I am, of Sir David's chastisement on all occasions. I stress it was payroll employment I was talking about. It's like the claim that crime was down. Well, crime is down if you exclude fraud, (laughs) which, in fact is a crime. <laughs> like, you know, anything can mean anything. Yeah, yeah. If we oh, exclude Johnson half Johnson. the
1: applicable crimes in the country, crime is down. Yes. Yes. You know, if, we, you if, know, if, if we're not referring it, it, to Downing Street, there were no parties. You know.
2: Yes, it's, if it, you
0: know. It's, it's sunny outside. <laughs> what, apart from the rain that's closing <laughs> down? Oh yeah, apart from that, it's sunny outside. <laughs> ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Anyway, listen, we've had a good chat about this all. Uh, thank you, Adam Schwartz, for joining in. Uh, thanks to everybody else who's taken part. And thank you to Sam as well. Really appreciate uh, your insight and your knowledge on this. And we will talk about your forthcoming book. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't plant it honestly. Honestly, no, he was doing
1: whatever.
0: that of his own accord. I and, appreciate uh, it, but it was not my doing, Adrian. And it is worth uh, reminding people as well that the Byline Festival is nearly upon us. This is uh, between the 29th of April. And the 1st of May on Portobello Road at the Acklam Village Market in North Kensington in London. So it's over that weekend, 29th of April to the 1st of May. All sorts of interesting things going on. It's officially described as a mix of inquisitive journalism, free speech, comedy music, and all-round entertainment. But there's all sorts of really interesting speakers and performers going on. So check out more information at bylinefestival.com. That's bylinefestival.com. All sorts of luminaries, including our very own co-founder, Peter Dukes, Don Letts, the legendary DJ, Bonnie Greer, loads of great names there. So check it out. Byline Festival. Dot com. Stephen Colgrave, uh, our other co-founder, in conversation with Rio Ferdinand. That's going to be really, really good. Alf Dubs, Lord Alf Dubs as well. So, as I say, BylineFestival.com. And if you want to support our work here on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, please take out a subscription to our monthly paper, The Byline Times. You get more details at BylineTimes.com.
3: We'll see you again very soon. Thanks, uh, Sam. See you soon, mate. Cheers. Cheers, Adrian. Take care.